On this episode of the Whack Attack podcast, we talk about artificial intelligence, its role that it's playing right now with what we're calling the golden age and how it's uh, pretty much like a wild west and unregulated. We talk about some aspects of government regulation, also how it's changing society and the job landscape and uh, considerations that it's going to have for children on their attention spans and how we develop them uh, to you know maintain and keep their humanity as AI increases the level of convenience in this world. This is going to be a great episode. We hope you enjoy it. Listen. Yes. How are we doing today, everybody out there? It's good over here. Uh, Wally and I are in the booth. Curtis has uh, got a little cold, so he's out for today. Producer Scott's in the building. Shout out, Producer Scott. Hola. But and first and foremost... Heavy machinery operators. Caterpillar is basically making your job become a remote job. Yeah. Ollie, tell them, tell me about it. It was just a unique article um, that was uh, posted. It just I thought it was quite fascinating. I mean, we've seen it with you know truck drivers, um, but there's a lot more permitting that goes on to operating vehicles um, on state funded or municipality funded roadways. Where when you're in private property, it's like. The rules are so different from a regulatory perspective that it's it's opening the doors for more and more what I would consider remote operation uh, for businesses and organizations and even maybe you know, yeah, um, which I think I mean we've we've seen it with uh, drones so, going so, over and spraying your fields. So basically, you're saying this like uh, Caterpillar has a lot less restrictions, right? So let's talk about this. What specifically is Caterpillar doing with some of these heavy machinery operators? Uh, plowing fields, um, and then also doing some more, um, what I would consider like thoughtful. And again, I'm no construction expert in any capacity, um, but you know, moving dirt, right? Um, and now these people are not physically located on site, correct? Yeah, and so they are doing this how uh, via the internet. Yeah, and like what hardware I I, context? I, they got like VR goggles, I'd imagine. Yeah, or? but I'm not exactly sure on the uh, the uplink. I mean, satellite comms is there, but that's also quite expensive and depends on you know satellite networks. But right. it most likely is going to be done via what I would consider 5G. But I'm not. I don't. I'm not 100 sure there. Man, that is super slick. So, if there was a, I mean, this might just be a test case, right? But yeah. l- l- let's think about this. Let's, let's hypothesize and go down the future a little bit. I mean, you could basically be a heavy equipment operator, right? And you could work from your home if the job sites had, you know, a decent internet connection and a consistency with that connection. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... Uh, and I hold think on, they, I'm, they, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm just like spitting this out Yeah, but, but redundancy-wise, you would not... Uh, this would never be at your house. You'd have to have some type of assurance that you're not losing signal. There's a lot of additional. Okay, so you're right. You're probably have to be on like some type of you're, you know you're in like commercial office a, you're in or something like a call center, but right. where you're just sitting there in your own like your racing sim. So let's let's practice. think about this. So you but you're a heavy machinery operator instead of working for like an oil field or for a specific organization or subcontracting, you're basically operating out of an office. I can imagine you basically live in this booth, right, or something. Maybe you got a VR headset on. Maybe it's just screens all around you. But I could imagine something like this. Instead of just being in the operating seat of whatever piece of heavy machinery that is, whether they're backhoes or whether they're you know um, skid skiers or whether they are big pieces of machinery like dump trucks or yeah, anything for coal mining or oil rigs. Really, that's really where it is in those larger, not the, not the more consumer, like smaller skid skiers. Right, but like imagine that, yeah. all the cameras you'd have around this big thing, right? So yeah. instead of just being stuck in the operator seat, like let's say you need to back up and you need to back up to what maybe like two inches or something 
you'll probably have a camera that can create a rendering of exactly where you're at. You could probably get a view outside and then just press a button. Yeah. Or move it back. I mean, it's... And in this case, they're using LiDAR for their precision um, it's measurements. Am- but yeah. Amazing that, you know, th- this is the future we're talking about, right? Where AI, we're seeing it augment jobs. And also, yeah. you know, we're seeing it to where the productivity is, is going sky high. Is this happening now? You know, uh, not at the level we're talking about, you know, but we're... We're basically, you know, this article had said that they were, you know, testing out something similar to this with VR headsets. And you know, we're saying this is where this could be in the future, right? But it's happening. Absolutely. And it's happening not just in heavy machinery or construction, but it's also happening in software with ChatGPT and content development with ChatGPT. And, you know, we saw it that Italy banned um, uh, ChatGPT or generative AR. Or I, I don't know the exact one. Don't, don't cite me. Internet, please correct me. Yeah. But they basically banned it, right? And so I think maybe there's this period of time where maybe we're in like this early renaissance or golden age. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be more regulation that's going to come down the um, come down to the end users. Uh, what that is, I'm not sure. You know, the government's typically a little bit further behind in, in regards to the timeline. Uh, they're typically later to respond. Right. But they will. Do you think it's maybe like a little bit of an existential crisis to the government too? Because if if the heavy machinery operator that's got a very specific skill set operating heavy machinery, it's got this ability to either make that job easier or augment that job. You got to think. It's probably got some use cases for significant accountability in the government. Yeah. Hey, the first place my mind goes is, so instead of those people being local to those specific areas, then all of a sudden remote, open it up to the entire U.S. But the first place my mind, my mind goes is, why do, why wouldn't the corporations just outsource that to other countries, right? Well, so I think they'll then repeat you can the re- past. I know, yeah. but so like heavy heavy machinery operators, you know, if you can do it for half the price in another country if it's 100% remote. I'm just saying that all of a sudden outsourcing, when everything can be remote, not everything, but it's a lot of jobs, instantly I just think of jobs sort of, yeah. Well, there's there's a couple things that I think will happen. One, I think the government will have to play this balancing act, right? So, for example, um, globalization, I think you could argue with hindsight that it was uh, one of the worst things we ever did in the 90s, right, due to outsourcing and everything else. And that was largely incentivized by the U.S. government um, allowing all the HSB1 uh, visas or basically green cards from foreign um, uh, workers, right? And so corporations, especially through like recruiting firms, and Scott, you would know this, they're incentivized to go hire labor from overseas, right? And, you know, so I think the government will start to put some restrictions on that if AI comes for a fair amount of uh, high-paying American jobs, right? And the reason why is because tax loss, yeah, right? They really don't care. Let's be honest. They don't care about any one of us individually. What do they care about? Bottom line. Bottom line. Taxes. That's how they generate revenue, right? So I think maybe there's this balancing act that the government has to do. But do you ever think, Wally, that there's maybe this option of like, we are in this like 1995 early internet type of time with AI before laws and regulations start coming into place? Do you ever think we're maybe in that 
uh, zone right now. Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, you know, and I also think that there's, I mean, you know, there's a lot of coming coming back to um, autonomous vehicles, things like that. You know, there are certain use cases uh, that are extremely productive that are saving lives daily, like um, video on zipline, uh, which is a drone organization. Um, and you know, I don't quote me on the location, um, somewhere in Africa, and they are sending out a drone every five minutes. Uh, that's sending blood or prescriptions to these remote hospitals in Africa. You know, there's 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 a lot of unique use cases for third world countries that I think are also going to be exploited and and really you know save lives. So it's you know, we also have to remember that there's two sides to oh, every coin. Oh, a hundred percent. There's two sides yeah. to every coin. Um, I think it's going to be fat. I think like anything else in human nature, I think it's going to create jobs. I think it's going to change the job market. Yeah. I also think it's going to create jobs. I think it's going to benefit humanity. The only thing that like it kind of gets me thinking philosophically is technology in a way has accelerated convenience. I would argue that the level of convenience in modern life or is um correlated to the amount of technological innovation at the time. So if AI is technological innovation, which it is, the level of convenience, I think, also goes up. That scares me more than AI because as I look at like the United States right now, it kind of feels like starting of the end of the Roman Empire, right, with how much division and everything has been here and a lot of the inefficiencies. And I'm, I'm optimistic that, you know, we can be able to get things fixed, but or fixed, but um, not fisted. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, but I think how did how did news spread there? I mean, like, literally, we we pay attention as humans to news that happens in other countries, and I mean, that just wasn't something right. that was. Yeah, I don't even know if it's comparable. I feel like as a young young country, we're like in a pubescent age, yeah. right? We're right. just like, like going through puberty for everyone to be like, yeah. oh, we're screwed. It's like, oh, wait till our balls drop. Like, America's well, coming back. Hopefully, three well, three well, people ago. Well, I'm yeah. I'm 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 a hundred percent optimistic right because i'd rather be an optimist and be wrong than a pessimist and be right but my point was getting back to the the convenience aspect of it if ai increases convenience i feel like one of the issues right now with america and the rest of the world chasing us is the amount of convenience we have in our daily lives it contributes to a lot of the issues with waste that we have here it contributes to a lot of the issues that we have with overconsumption, right um, that dopamine hit like on our phones, right? It's just so convenient to see the most beautiful women in the world on a phone or the, you know, the, 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 you know, most attractive men, right? If you're a female or whatever, you're into that. Um, my point is how convenient is that, you know, uh, 200 years ago, every king in the world didn't have access to that many beautiful people. So that's just one thing like attraction. Now, like for example, my phone, or I'm sorry, my remote stopped working for my TV. Okay, so I went on Amazon. Oh, it'll be at your door at 8 p.m. Right? Prime now. Put put it in my hand, right? And so for me, that level of convenience, I think, can be um, like sort of numbing for our human nature, for what makes us human. And so that's why I said when, in so many words, the convenience goes up. I feel like that is the bigger issue for humans because we need to figure out a way to not just be more convenient and sit on our ass and relax. We need to find 
ways to take that amount of time savings to become more human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and whatever makes you human is is on a you know per person basis, right? Right, but you think um, so like what, c- what compassion, you- caring, contribution, a hobby or something community. that you do, community, right? Uh, I I f- feel like in even family values, right? Mm-hmm. I would say that at best those are flatlined, more than likely trending down if you look at since the nineteen fifties, right? With the um, nuclear family sort of. You know, that ideology being picked apart, um, you know, dual incomes basically becoming the norm, right? I think a lot of this, that's where my mind goes with the AI piece is what do we do with the amount of convenience that it's going gonna, it's gonna to deliver for us? Yeah, it's providing luxury, which sort of stunts our evolution as humans. Maybe that's not exactly how you said it, but I think that's how I understood it. It's like that, that set of luxury where everything can just be catered to you and everything is packaged in a way that's um, going to make us all comfortable. There is no struggle, so I can see yeah, where where's you're saying. where's the growth? I can yeah. see that. But to Wally's point, this is a very complex issue. So uh, maybe some people and some families are thriving better than ever, right? But yeah. to what we're aware of, you know, it does seem as if things are sort of trending in a negative, you know, you know uh, trajectory. Right. Well, I think about this, like your wife, right? How awesome is it, you know, having your person in your life? It's amazing. Right. What happens if you were young and you didn't have that and you didn't know how to go and find that or how to develop yourself to do that? Like, let's think of all the ways we developed. We had to go through a little bit of inconvenience, right? Absolutely. And so that's what I I, I think is interesting. Like, I always feel as if every generation is like, oh, well, they got it so easy, right? And I don't want to think that way, but I'm saying... That's what I'm looking at, you know, yeah. for the generations coming up is what are they going to do with all that convenience that's been provided? Yeah, and, and hopefully they can go change the world. Um, but I, I, I kind of look at it as like I think one of the nicest conveniences was not having to go to a library and check out a book every time you wanted to know something, right? Or if your family was rich enough to have an encyclopedia. But that still took a lot of time or, yeah, took a lot of time to go through and actually Correct. find your information. Now it's, I mean, everyone has a phone. I mean, the whole AI play, I mean, we became a cyborg the minute we got cell phones. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, nobody wants to admit it. But look at us right now. Hello, thing that's going to record my voice and admit it to the other world. And I'm going to put these things on my head so I can hear yeah. you and I can hear myself, right? Alan, to your point, though, real quick, I think that the the, the younger generation is just going to have different problems that we're not accustomed to. So maybe they do have more luxuries and they're a little clunkier meeting their girlfriend or their wife. But maybe in one lifespan, they're going to like see like three world wars, right? Like there's just going to be different contexts and situations that, you know, a, an average lifespan is going to sort of like deal with. That's not what we're, you know, accustomed to. Well, I think the older I get, the more I sort of buy into the cycles of human nature. Um, and I don't, I don't know who said this. Uh, I heard it from Jordan Peterson, but it's like, um, you know, heart, uh, Hard times make hard men. Hard men make uh, soft times. Soft times make soft men. Soft men make hard times, right? And it's a vicious cycle that repeats. Yeah. But I think about it in, in, in the context of not like, oh, these people are responsible for doing something negative and bad. I think about it in the context of is the opportunity to develop yourself nonviolent? 
because you think about it in, in like the in the history of basically prior to us talking about this on the podcast, most of the hardening has been violent. If you think about World War II and Vietnam and Genghis Khan and you know from the Byzantine Empire and the Roman Empire and you know Egypt, there was a lot of violence. Yeah, and, and you're also seeing a lot of violence highlighted in media. Right. So we're also perpetuating the cycle. Exactly. Showcasing the worst of the worst. And so and, my I question mean, it's, is... It's no longer localized, right? I mean, we as, as humans can only handle a certain amount of, um, you know, inter- like actual social interactions that we manage on a day-to-day basis, let alone our brains just aren't supposed to be <laughs> consuming this much randomness, you know, at the end yeah. of the day, in, is, my, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Is this tool going to be the opportunity for us to change that trend, to change that pattern and behavior? Because like you said, Scott, you know, it might be generations who are like they're clunky meeting their significant other for the first time or whatever else, you know, and, and I, maybe soft isn't the right term to use, but, um, the, the willpower to get through adversity, right? I would probably argue that it's less about how clunky are you meeting people and more about how capable are you in overcoming some form of adversity. I really hope that, the convenience that AI provides us with provides us with a nonviolent solution to build that and to develop that. Interesting. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting thought for sure. Yeah. This, what are we calling this episode again? Yeah. I wanted to say, these are Alan's thoughts on the (laughs) don't give a fuck episode of Wack Attack. Yeah. And I mean, strong men, you know, when you were talking about that, am I strong to be mentally, right? Not physically. Yeah. Totally. Dragon. And in my brain, I, I pull back on some of the stuff Elon's made mention to in regards to, you know, once uh once the ratio of adult diapers to uh, um, to baby diapers, you know, we need more people at the end of the day, you know. But then I I take that and I'm like, wow, you know, we need we're gonna need a lot of tradesmen as that you know older generation kind of fades away. Who's out there? <laughs> Who's out there learning to do plumbing right now? Oh, it's a it, like, if you can learn a trade. I feel like you're going to be the last to be impacted by AI. Yeah. You have the most amount of economic opportunity. We were talking with, uh, a, or I was talking with Abram Espinosa. He was uh, another episode we had here. Okay. And he basically said he found a guy in a different geographical area who was able to teach him everything he needed and wanted. And then he went into a different area, so he didn't take any of that guy's business. And so he was basically able to get the business model for how to run a boxing gym successfully. Nice. I think about it like what you just said. What if you could find somebody who was approaching retirement age who could teach you a trade, and then eventually you could buy that business? Basically, oh, absolutely. you're not competing with anybody else. You're getting it from somebody who's been doing it for a long time. You're getting the model. You're getting the brand name and the recognition. And then also, they're so much opportunity yeah 100 percent. and it's like you gotta think about this if ai comes for people's jobs um yes two part one people are going to lose their jobs so let's talk about that the second piece is the companies who create the ai are probably going to be worth a lot of money all right so you're thinking you're in the trades right um well, if you can have clientele that's retired, this is an interesting topic, you no longer have to worry about them having a job and maybe their retirement's in the market and real estate and everything else. 
Well, they invest that money into the technology companies that are doing so well, right? So, you know, you could be in a trade servicing an older demographic that's largely immune. Like, I, I yeah. think it could be really good, right? I also think that, you know, we will, um, like, our our generation, millennials and Gen Z, I feel like we'll adapt and, you know, there will be plenty of jobs um, with masters of machines or you know ai trainers or prompt engineers or whatever you want to say right or, or gardeners or gar- yeah, or gardeners mental health yeah yeah like, mental, me- yeah, mental, mental health mental Huge. i mean mental health and i mean even with the uh stuff in japan like you know going to go and invest in some nursing homes you know there's there's yeah. there's gonna still be a massive uh you know need for for skilled labor at the end of the day 100 can do a lot but it can't do everything no and, and and you and generally speaking with technology the goal has always been to um uh be human where it counts otherwise automate it right that's how you provide the best customer service the best product you know so we can't just discount all of these things by being scared afraid scared and afraid of ai yeah we definitely have to see it for what the opportunities are so scott you got any you got any thoughts yeah, I was just going to say from a perspective that's not necessarily mine, but I just hear a lot by other demographics. Uh, if people sort of feel like America is low-key attacked by uh, illegal immigrants or other immigrants and our, and our country just wants to maybe outsource certain jobs and it's all about the bottom line, I could see where people think that the artificial intelligence is like, oh, great, you got people coming from XYZ country taking my jobs, you know, maybe they're going to be the plumbers, you know, and then AI is coming on. It, it, this is such a unique time, I, I feel, uh, sort of what we spoke about earlier, that it's like if you're not exactly in this room, us three, um, or our listeners, it, this could be such a, a mind-blowing experience to log onto your little phone and see Fox News, CNN, all this doomsday stuff, and then also – the subtraction of jobs and people coming into the country and then certain countries to Wally's point, there's just so much information out there and a lot of it is doom and gloom. And unfortunately, um, I, I don't think most of us have, have ever had the the time or the energy to like research or even understand the forecast of what's coming up next. So that's why I enjoy this topic here of like this spitballing. And, and you know. to even be able to vet half the information you actually read. Like, yeah. Oh, no one this has, is a sandbox. No, no, one, okay. no one has the, the time to actually fully. Right. Because like, and and to survive, from, you got to have two incomes. Yeah. Mom and dad are working. Plus, you got child care, everything else. Yeah. By the time you make dinner and get everybody fed, it's 8 o'clock. Then the kids got to go to bed. It's like, what are you going to do with those next two hours? Go see what's true on the news? No, you're going to spend it with the people you care about. Exactly. Because you're not going to pull up, you know, in the Indian Times, China Today, and, you know, all these different, you know, foreign papers just to start cross-referencing uh, referencing your... Um, sources that's a that's a really good point i love it. I and think, andrew bustamante that, that that's his uh his whole play you read all of the top newspapers and you start to kind of like draw this little you know parallels to, yeah to all the things if you, I, I feel like if you got three left-leaning three center and three right-leaning news sites and the only thing you did was read headlines and find the commonality between them you could probably generally find what the news is we need ai to do that <laughs> yeah yeah, at scale. Some type of machine learning model would probably do it for you. Um, uh, interesting point you brought up there, though, was, and this kind of ties back to what you said, Scott, about the immigration. I think the United States government has to wake up and realize that they service the American people and not themselves or corporate interests or corporate profits. 
and that that model fundamentally is changing a largely due to AI. Yeah. And to kind of speak on what you said in regards to, uh, uh, our politicians slash, you know, getting the right people in, is it the Senate or Congress that doesn't have term limits? Uh, I'm not but sure. I, there, I know there's one of them that you can essentially, you know, be there forever. Um, but we need to put well. Well, let's be clear term here. Term limits on Congress is the Senate and the House of Representatives. Okay, the Senate is the Senate that's two per state, right? And then the House is based on the population. So, I don't know which one doesn't have terms. Uh, to be to be candid, whatever one doesn't needs terms. Or no both. more career. No not, more career. I'm not sure. No. I'm not sure on that. But here's the thing, though. That's interesting. That, like the argument against that is. Well, how are you really going to know how to run the country or do something substantial that takes, you know, eight or 10 years? Like, for example, let's just talk about this. Building water reservoirs. The state of California has doubled in population, has not built a new water reservoir, I think, since sometime like in the 1960s or 1970s. It's asinine, right? But the argument against that is what politician is going to get that done if it costs billions of dollars in 10 years to do? Yep. Right. Who's going to get the credit for that? And that's how the whole system is built, where it's really all about credit and media time. And so, it, you know, this is why I said I, I think there's this paradigm shift happening, not just in our industry, not just in every industry, but also in government. Because what happens when now we're going to have tools, we the people, right? This thing the Constitution was written for and about. We're going to have these AI tools that allow us to, at the click of a button, hold our representatives accountable. Absolutely. I mean, I, if I was in government, I would be thinking, I would be thinking about my actions today as fuel or oil for that machine in the future. Yeah. Long game. And I would be, you know, considering the strategy and the long game of that because I think it's only I think it's only a matter of time until certain aspects of AI or certain applications or use cases start getting banned. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, think about um, Cambridge Analytica, the 2016 presidential campaign. Um, they didn't do anything more than basic machine learning and ripping off Facebook data. Uh, you know, and they called that. I I remember reading the report. They called that like um, weapons grade information or something along those lines. Do you think there's any possibility that that sort of happens in the future with regulation where they say a certain application of AI or certain use cases, you know, weapons grade information warfare or something like that? You ever think that's a possibility? 100%. Yeah. All right, well, we can switch gears off the government, right? Um, let's talk about cool AI tools. I was going to talk about the AI music and how right now artists are having songs <laughs> composed for them. This is pretty epic, yeah. That They never spoke the words. So imagine if Elvis was alive right now or the Beatles, people that I've heard my entire life. I'm going to head to the bathroom. I'll be right back. You yeah. know, their entire my entire life I've heard these people be put on pedestals and Oh man, Scott, you you and you uh, millennials, you just don't know what you missed. But it's like, hey, Alan, um, could you imagine if Elvis was like having a cocktail and 
you know, just living his best life on the weekend and then wakes up Monday morning, a little hungover, heading to the studio and there's a new album out and it's his voice. It's him. And it's got as much plays or more plays than he's ever or record sold, whatever the metrics would be. Right. That is a full out atom bomb on on the industry and the creativity process and the ownership like th those guys would be I, I don't even know what they'd be but um i can only imagine so let's consider this mm -hmm. um napster in the early 2000s was basically distributing copies of musicians intellectual property right for free and they weren't getting credit for it neither were the record labels etc and so that's why Napster was really shut down. And then Spotify came along. And basically their argument was we shouldn't have to pay you per play what you think you want to get paid because what happens when a radio station plays your song once? If 100,000 people hear that, that's 100,000 plays. Correct. So that was sort of Spotify's argument. And so that further... Um, cut into the margins of musicians and that further cut into the margins of record labels. You know, I, I think personally, I think that middlemen, and I'm just using that term, you know, don't come after me. So it's warriors for, you know, genderizing a term. Um, but middlemanning somebody else's work or somebody else's, um, product I think that's going to be minimized in the future because when margins have to get cut out mm -hmm. the person who is doing the production who is doing the work they're going to realize that everybody else is going to have to take a cut before they take a cut yep. right and that I feel like is going to you know push this forward because I don't know given copyright with music and everything else and how you can train these models there's no there's no regulation on this right now i know but right? you did but what i brought up you yeah. like you did like a, a a baby jab like that wasn't even a strong jab i'm saying uh, alan imagine a someone coming out with a podcast and it's only alan hosting and it's words that you would never you've never said and it goes viral right right like so i hear what you're saying about napster and and uh that whole process of of sort of selling people's art and them not really being compensated properly. So you um, want to talk about a solution? You want to talk about what we think the, that the, just that that is so is. well, no, j just the overall concept of things, uh, sorry, words and art that's never been created before by an artist. And it is being made at a rapid pace and it's high quality and you almost can't discern it from the regular one. If no one told me it wasn't AI, I would have thought that I got a leaked new Drake album or, or yeah. you know, Andre Bocelli, whoever the artist was. Um, and, and it just blows my mind because I'm a huge art fan. Yeah, and, and it's also interesting just, I mean, oh, yeah, didn't agree with you. It's, 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 <laughs> it's fucking wild. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's, let's just call it for what it is. It's, it, it's unprecedented. And I get back to the fact of like, so many politicians and media, basically people who really control the power in the world, are pissed off at Elon for what he's done with Twitter because he has he has exposed the ringleaders and he has exposed their tactics. Right, so now they have to further operate in the shadows and they have to come up with new tactics. Yeah. Which, by the way, takes time with alignment and everything else. Absolutely, and money. So, 
I feel like what Elon did with basically saying F your verification of, you know, entities that have been around for a while or whatever else. Verification is you're going to pay us every month with a credit card. You're going to send us your photo ID and we're going to make sure that your profile represents who you are. Yeah, it's going to be a, a unique one for minority or like, you know, people that are in, in a specific country or locality that are don't have an ID. You know, right. They they now don't have the access to those certain sites, which is going to be an or they don't have the ability to contribute content to it because there's no chain of uh, custody with that. And and I think that and and show their real location like Nigeria, for example, or, right. you know, for some of these different scam operations. Right. Because right? like how this gets back to what you talked about with the music, Scott, mm-hmm. was. platforms that distribute information, that distribute content, right? Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, QQ, you know, whatever, et cetera, right? They are going to have to have a chain of custody where they basically have some type of blockchain-esque technology that says this piece of content originated from this person at this time. So what will happen is if you have... Drake or somebody else and their copyrighted content that you've trained a model with and then you've built a product, right? And you've contributed no intellectual property to this. I see this as two parts. Have you contributed intellectual property and are you the original owner of or the lease or uh, or have the rights to, right? Use that data to contribute that intellectual property. And then with that ID verification system, they'll basically say, okay, are you who you really are in those two contexts? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the future. And you see Instagram's charging, you know, $14 for a verified account. Uh, and, and personally, I, I think this is the way it should go Absolutely. because I've always thought and, that. And you're less of a, a less of the product at that point, right? Right. Because now you're not getting your data harvested. You're They're generating revenue off of you just having a profile and an account. And now right. the whole business model fundamentally changes for the better. Yeah. And now the issues we have with attention span and girls with body issues and body image and, and, and needing to buy things and have certain statuses. Self-esteem. Like, so yes. Thank you. Self-esteem. Um, I feel like that all goes to the wayside, yeah. right? Because now the fundamental media model and consumption model is pretty much null and void. Yeah. It's all about account acquisition and retention if they're making $15 a month per user. If they got 100 million users, right, they're making what? Yeah, at $10, a billion dollars, $10 an account, a billion dollars a year. Plus ad revenue, it's like, dude, the whole game changes, and so that it does. Now, when I when I get back to how we originally got on this again, going back to the music with everything else, I I feel like this is the future, and um, I mean, I, I would love to build an app or a tool that handles the identity <laughs> verification for that, right? Yeah, I think that's a, a slick idea. Side side note, I had an idea. Um, we had a topic we covered, I don't know how many podcasts ago, but we were speaking about wearing certain clothes that paparazzi can't take a picture of you. Remember that? Yep, that, that which whole, exists. Yes. Um, that type of topic, but if we're going to be um, a little clunky with it, I was just trying to see or have an idea of imagine content being put out there, whether it's a certain platform or, or certain type of protective coding you could put on your videos like such as podcasts where ai couldn't absorb all my voice and all my 
um, persona to be able to do an artificial rendering of me, if that makes any sense. Where you could be on the internet, but not being consumed by the predator. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a unique idea. That's for sure. I mean, watermarks are, you know, what we've had in the past for knowing who owns rights, right? We have uh, DRM, right? Digital Rights Management software, so it's harder for you to take things off of, like, Netflix and things like that. But um, it's almost like you, especially in audio, it's like you put something in the waveform, but at the end of the day, they're all digital signals, so you can just <laughs> get rid of it. Uh, there's always going to be a way of, of skirting the system in some capacity. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about this going back to the golden age comment we had made earlier. Yeah. Why you think this is the golden age of AI and, you know, what you should potentially be considering what you do with your extra time right now. Like Computer Fraud Act, for example. They didn't have that back in the day, right? Explain the Computer Fraud Act. Yeah. It's against the law to have unauthorized access to a computer. Go ahead. Um, you know, before computers, there was no laws on computers, obviously. With AI, I think there's going to be laws that come out. What they are, I'm not sure. But there are going to be some, in some case, it may not even be in our lifetime, but there are going to be laws set aside specifically for dealing with information at scale. And it could even just be like, hey, uh, we cannot use all of this information that we scraped the web from uh, in, the, <laughs> in, in the models. And that, you know, those were owned by certain people, you know, and protected under, you know, copyright. Okay. I am doing a quick Google search, which is how many politicians have a computer science degree? Okay. And that's not a prereq. It's going to be like two. So I'm really concerned if we're talking about regulation with, you know, what we just spoke of with AI. How many politicians in the United States actually have some type of STEM degree, let alone a computer science, information systems, um, mathematics. Less than 2%. Degree, right? So largely, the regulation is, I think it's going to be clickbait and headlines for news because we all know in there is going to be... English and wording that is heavily lobbied by the large tech industries to do what they need to do. I kind of see this as being like the MarTech issue because we've been dealing with the MarTech is marketing technology. And, you know, for those of you like 2013, 2014, you were like, oh, ads are following me around the internet and personalization. And Facebook really generates all this data on me. And um, that's marketing technology. Well, now the regulation has started to try to catch up to that with like CCPA and GDPR. And the reality is Apple did more for your regulation by giving you the ability to stop app tracking on your phone than all of that combined did. Correct. Um, because all of those laws were so gutted by the interest groups and who wrote them and also by just a general lack of understanding of how the technology works. Yeah. Right. So if you were to write a piece of legislation like that, Wally, what do you think would be uh, the important aspects? I have absolutely no, no way and no idea. How to, no. How do you have anything that like comes to mind? Because I know we practice in this field and I'm just hypothesizing. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. No contributions on camera. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, yeah, I, yeah. Hey, I was going to add, though, a little bit of a segue, but 
um, in regards to politicians or whoever's in charge, how long this golden age is going to last and, and who should be the one that sort of course corrects for us and does a realignment. Um, so what, what were we saying? What's going down? Uh, Self-esteem and folks, right, with like the current model that we're running. Uh, what do most people turn to? Pharmaceuticals. What's like the biggest besides like the industrial war complex or whatever you call it, like pharmaceutical companies, I think 70% or 80% of our commercials in our country are all funded by on TV. Yeah. Sorry. And, yeah. and, and a lot of pharmaceuticals. Uh, uh, we're one of the few countries that even allows that just yeah. mind boggling advertising for pharmaceuticals. So my point yeah. is, I think that, uh, the, the, uh, the lack of transparency for proper news, if it's always doom and gloom, and then our social medias and, and the way the internet operates is, is a little bit, um, unfortunate for the users. Yeah, um, but but here's another thing. No one's forcing you to be on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. You know, no one, typically you would imagine no one's putting a gun to your head and saying you must use this website. You know, there's also a level of you got to also recognize what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, but the, I think the argument against that would be that modern life is so ingrained with and in that that there is a argument to be made that that's basically becoming a public utility Mm -hmm. right so you think energy deregulation in the 90s that's how like roosevelt electric became thing you know smud sacramento municipal utility district became a thing right from pg and e yeah um and so i think like facebook twitter social media companies youtube largely i think they're becoming public utilities and so to say that like well nobody's forcing you to do this it's actually i think in my mind with public schooling and with jobs needing you to do everything online and um you know hey check in with your phone right if you go out to a restaurant or or scan this qr code i i think there's an argument to be made that when it becomes so ingrained in um, like routine life, yeah, it's hard to not participate. It's hard you know? to not. It's actually harder to not participate, right, than it is to participate. And you know, I think that's that's some of the concern. But but that is a good point. Not we all shouldn't be victims. Like, oh no, I use the internet so much. And yeah. I wasn't trying to say that. I was just trying to say if we are in limbo mode, I think the limbo mode would be stagnated due to a couple uh, complex factors such as pharmaceuticals, right? Like these entities. Well, yeah, and, and I agree with you. And what I had pulled up was a list of the largest pharmaceutical um, uh, settlements because I think this is a really good point. And, and Scott, this is what I, I had gone towards earlier talking about how convenience. I really hope that there's a nonviolent solution to basically hardening the mind and um, you know, learning how to deal with adversity and, and whatever that means, whether that's mental or physical or discipline or whatever, right? Everybody's level of adversity and domain of adversity is going to be different. Yeah. But I mean, I look at it like this, you know, those pharmaceutical companies, GlaxoSmithKline, three billion, one billion criminal, two billion civil in 2012, right? Um, Pfizer, 2.3 billion in 2009, Johnson & Johnson, 2.2 billion. I mean, here are some pharmaceutical companies that are paying billion dollar fines because they're advertising on all of these platforms and everything else. Uh, did you just do uh, United States based organizations? Uh, I did United North States America based America organizations, or, okay. and it's on Wikipedia as of today's date, which is yeah. what April. I was just uh, kind of curious. Yeah, April twenty fourth, twenty twenty three. Because it's interesting to see some of those numbers change when you go to like China, for example, and other different. I mean. We don't have that many people in the United States compared to uh, India, 
Like, yeah. So, but the fact that that metric is so high, right? And it's always a slap on the wrist. I feel like every time I've seen a case like that, it's always pennies to how much they actually made. It's well worth it for certain corporations to do and act in certain R- ways. Risk tolerance. Yes. Absolutely. The ROI. They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll pay a $3 billion fine, you know, as they laugh. You well, know. And, and the thing is, is it, when you go back to the, the pharmaceutical companies and their advertisements, they're always advertising community and happiness. You notice that you're always with your family or you're always with your friends. Or pain. Get rid of pain. Or, or you're, you're getting rid of pain. You're able to do these things with your community. It's like corporations are not a sense of community. You know what's a sense of community? That's a corporation. A small business with like less than 50 people where you're known by your first name and there's a genuine buy-in and care about how people in the organization are doing yeah. plus the health of the organization. Like, yeah, absolutely. I could get behind that. Yeah. But it's it's ironic that the solution to the conven- the problem of convenience, which is a lack of um, a feeling of acceptance humanity. or lack of community or humanity, is this drug that you can put Synthetic, in your mouth. Yeah, chemicals. That they're going to advertise to you with community. Yeah. yeah. It's like we well, can't. bait and switch. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We can't be like, yo, these people who are really going to be the ones harnessing AI and all this power and everything else are not going to be the ones to solve the problems that come with it. And um, I, I think just, I think I, where my mind goes, not to cut you off, but I think where my mind goes is it's almost like we're trying to diagnose or forecast the American dream. I think the American dream was a little different in the 80s, a little different in the 90s. Now, what is it? Is it a pill and then a virtual reality? Right. Do you want to feel good? All right. And you're you're not killing it at work. But if you pop on these gogs, all of a sudden you're at a comedy show and, uh, you know, you, you're doing some you're in the metaverse. Right. You can escape. Um, yeah. And then yeah, that, swimming in all that billions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm just trying to yeah. I'm just trying to speak to things that, you know, interest me, not things that I'm actually doing. So I'm totally out of pocket. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think it's actually very relevant and very accurate. Um, when you look at, you know, like you said, that the, take the red pill or, um, you know, put on the goggles. Right. I think about it like, like, what is your definition of a rich life? When people say the American dream, really what they mean is like you're having a rich life, but a rich life in terms of what? An abundance in what? Is it an abundance of love? Is it an abundance of your family? Is it an abundance of community? Health. Yeah, health. Yeah. Is it you? Did you want to have three or four kids? And, you know, you're just, oh, it's so great being around, you know, young kids who are just so pure. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a good thing for folks if you're scared about AI. Yeah, that's a good question to ask yourself is what does my rich life look like? And that could be rich in money. That could be rich in time. That could be rich in social and relationships, right? Absolutely. Um, Put a a vision board together. Right. And then figure out how to navigate that with the landscape of everything that we're talking about. Because, you know, we're, we're just talking about how things are changing. And for us, I think it's how we sort of tickle our minds with... Um, what could be or where the technology is going or just, you know, to have a better understanding or a grasp of, yeah. you know, what the current challenges are because not every challenge needs a solution, but you need to have a good navigator to all of the challenges to know that like, hey, there's zero chance of that getting solved anytime soon. So we just need to steer clear of that because if we want to get to, you know, spending more time together, like say it's, I want to take, you know, Fridays off to spend with my wife or, you know, I want Fridays to be family day and I don't want to work, but I you know, I want to have these things and these abilities. You know, you can know that, oh, well, 
you know, I don't think I'm going to go become a content writer because I'm probably going to have to work much harder because generative AI, right? Or I know if I want to be happy, I should probably not be in a place to watch TV advertisements where they're going to be selling me community activities and everything and a, a magical solution to yeah. a problem that they had a, a large hand in influencing and creating in the first place. Absolutely. Right. Create the problem, get the solve. So, uh, Wally, talk to me about your, like, how has your mind been tickled by everything in the world of AI and machine learning that's come out in the last six months? Um, I mean, there's really not a ton new outside of increases in performance with models. Um, and now everyone and their mother has the ability to build a tool that uses, for example, OpenAI. Yeah. You know, <laughs> back in the day, we had to go, you know, use PyTorch and <laughs> yeah, and TensorFlow. You had to put in some work. And, and, you know, build open, you know, your OpenCV models and stuff. And now, you know, with AWS, it's, hey, just upload a bunch of photos, then name the photo what's in it, and it'll throw it into a classifier for you. There you go. Right. There no code solutions. Those are fun, right? So it's, it's interesting for myself just to... The last six months, I guess, in your time frame, just to see all the new tools and new ways that people are adapting um, and increasing productivity and workflows and uh, augmenting different applications to do more. So do you think that it's sort of <laughs> accelerated your consumer-producer ratio where you're producing, uh, a li I shouldn't say producing, creating a little bit more? right? Because folks who have never been exposed to you like outside of work or off camera um wally's house is like this lab this building lab yeah i mean you gotta think of it as like a a home lab i mean in the most literal sense run a right. server rack and you know start playing with computers and technology and but and inside build. is technology lab yeah outside is like technology plus a little bit of hardware plus a little bit of like traditional construction type of lab you know the very minimal construction I've, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I have power i have power tools but i came from a household with us you know a screwdriver and right. now you know i was like oh well, this is and now fun. i have a sawzall yeah exactly <laughs> progress exactly but i mean my my point here is being a creator is probably a good mindset to start checking into because, like you said, yeah. the barrier to entry now is becoming much lower. For a limited time, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For a limited time, potentially. Yeah. We don't know what the shot clock's you know, set up, but there is one going. Yeah, I, I agree. Things will change. And, you know, it'll probably be the big ticket items. Like, for example, uh, you know, can't use, you know, health information in XYZ ways or the music, whatever's tied directly to the big pockets in, in Washington, you know, those will be the first step, right, yeah. to that. So. The first step for the shot clock to expire. Exactly. exactly. Shout out Sacramento so Kings, 2-2 two two against the Golden State Warriors. I just don't know where that's going to be, though, you know. Yeah. So, <sighs> you know, someone took their uh, their dog's blood blood results, uh, uploaded in ChatGPT, and they took the output to their, uh, their vet, and it's like, well, that's perfect. That's exactly what we needed you know, solve, solve the issue. But it's just like, there's, there's a lot of unique use cases. Right. But I think once you start dealing with more, um, sensitive information or, uh, disruptive to certain large interests, I think is when regulations will start to kind of trickle in. Oh, I think, I think now more than ever, they have the largest incentive to actually bring the like, regulations up to par. 
you know, because you got to think still about this. Still takes time, though. Mm. Yeah, it still definitely takes time. Um, but the the wild thing, and like I think about it, this when when ChatGPT first came out. Um, if you don't know what ChatGPT is, go to OpenAI, learn about it. Um, but basically, it it generates things for you after you prompt it in like a little chat, you know, user interface. When we played around with the original models back in the day in the beta, they were like, Meh. I was like, this is this is cool. It's not that great. Then GPT three came out, and we're like, okay, this is going like this is going somewhere exponential growth. And then GPT four came out, and we were like, holy balls! And I remember this existential crisis that I was having about like, you know, I built my whole life on technology and you know consulting and solving problems for businesses and organizations. Like, is my ability to be the problem solver? going to be diminished going to be you know uh, devalued null and void and what i have come to grips with lately is that you know a lot of the heavy pockets the interests who really dictate law and um you know the how the company operate or organization operates <laughs> organization company the country operates right <coughs> they are going to be influencing those regulations. And so there's going to be, I feel like, notable opportunity for us. Yeah. Because and of that. We can move to Costa Rica, where yes. the laws probably won't be there for a little while. I will yeah. already be there. I've lived in the hammock. Yeah. Yeah. I, hey, man, I'll, I'll go surf every morning. It, it's going to be interesting, yeah, and see where, where things go. But, like, Italy, they're, they're off. So chat GPT just banned in Italy straight up yeah I don't know I, I don't follow the allegedly and yeah do more research yeah but I know I remember reading the headline or something about it like that yeah. well let me hey, let me throw in something real quick uh co-pilot can we get like three minutes on co-pilot pilot yeah with github uh or with aws I uh, thought co-pilot is microsoft right co-pilot is microsoft uh code whisper AWS, AWS, AWS right. maybe not. not code I thought that's where we were going. Whether one's going to kill the other. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, oh, no. AWS is uh, is actually pretty solid. They give you, I believe, fifty security scans per month on the code, mm -hmm. and um, if you pay for it, which Copilot does not have a free option, well, they used to, but um, the play with the um, AWS product is it gives you the actual source to the code, so it gives you the ability to kind of understand if this is kind of infringing on somebody's IP, which is kind of a nice thing where you don't get that. Also, um, Copilot is a lot better at building scaffolding in my experience. But um, again, I've only played with um, the AWS uh, product for the last less than a week. It's well, very, very, very new. new. It's like five days old, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. my and just for people listening, that's not my best friend sitting at a table in front of me. Um, I just watched Fireship. Uh, I subscribe to Fireship on um, Fireship IO. Yeah, Let's go uh, on YouTube. So when I speak, that's I, I, I don't I'm not a coder. I'm not a software programmer. Uh, but what I was going to say is that from watching that video, I witnessed that uh, the AWS tool prompted like 50 lines of code in a shorter amount of time than the copilot. And this is all allegedly, you know, don't sue me. But um, compared to the copilot, it 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 that particular um creator was just saying that he found way more success with aws and it was just a really interesting video to watch so i guess anyway, it doesn't check surprise me yeah you know uh, 
what really surprises me in this whole thing is how Google has fallen flat on their fucking face. Yeah, I, I for now st- I still get emails. I'm on focus groups right now for Bard. Like, and do they give you a hundred and fifty dollar gift card to spend thirty minutes on a Google Meet to do product improvements? It's been a unique one, right? And I felt like four years ago, Google with especially with TensorFlow was like one of the leaders. Well, yeah, and they purchased and machine learning. They models. purchased what DeepMind for right some serious cash and machine learning models for folks who don't know out there like when, when the term ai is thrown around really that's just a buzzword right now like chat gpt is a machine learning model right it's it, actually it's not a machine learning model by technical definition don't correct me out the internet it's, not it's a, a, is that, is a, a language a, a, learning model right NLP, yeah. so to a degree that's not necessarily like general intelligence and when people say or when the industry is talking about ai and they say agi that's uh, you know general intelligence where you can learn learn consider strategy you know uh, like when we say think long term like yeah, that's, level of consciousness right or something i don't know if it's necessarily a level of consciousness but it's um it's it's definitely um it got a lot of depth in its ability to think and produce responses right whereas right now is like ChatGPT is largely just a statistical model that predicts the likelihood of one word's ability or one word to be next to another trained on the entire data set of the internet. Yeah, and and books, a lot of literature, remember 60% crawl and crawl. And then there's, you know, quite a bit of national archives and libraries and books. Which again, why didn't Google have this earlier? They they were the ones that built the robots. That's that, my point. They indexed the entire fucking f- internet. Well, not just the internet, but they also scanned all the books. Right. Like that was that was one of the yeah. What uh, I think there is going to be a case study, and I don't even know if textbooks are even going to be relevant, but maybe the future of education is changing too. <laughs> but let's talk about a lesson plan. There's going to be a lesson plan similar to when I was in an economics class in college. They used uh, Toyota's just-in-time manufacturing. Right. Yeah. As like this lesson plan to teach you about just in time manufacturing and and the um, benefits that that had on productivity and profitability and uh, many different areas related to economics. I think you are going to see something in a case study about Google that is in the world of leadership or management consulting about how integration of ideas that are in an echo chamber lead to such a negative outcome the yeah because they've they've had tons of presentations by teams at google and executives are like nope not they're not ready for it kill 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 you know and then also spreading themselves out on a lot of different projects well and then also i think the irony is like the whole you know diversity equity and inclusion stuff that they're pushing i think the irony is Guess what they weren't diverse in? Ways of thinking. <laughs> okay. Like, they probably didn't have this operating in a context where there was a couple different tracks running at the same time. 
because they were they should have been in the lead. They fumbled the bag. They yeah. fumbled so hard, especially when your your mission is to organize the world's information. Who picked up? Right, correct. Who picked up the bag, though? If we can just sort of complete that sentence. If, if well, you have arguably a a non major tech company who has now partnered with Microsoft, founded by Elon Musk, founded by Elon Musk, who's oh. now was the other day saying he might sue him. Um, largely is seen in the public eye as the leader. That picked up the fumble. Yeah, and, right. And Elon's even said he's going to probably come out with something like Truth GPT or some other type of civic model that's you know unbiased at least as much as he can be. Right. And so when I look at Google, Google fumbled so hard for whatever reason. I think there's going to be a case study taught in schools about something in management or leadership, whether it is they were incompetent and caring too much about uh, basically these uh, messages and ideas that were shot around in the echo chamber of Silicon Valley that, you know, sounded good and made them feel good, but produced basically no business value or a lack of diversity in (laughs) management. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not talking about people or attributes of people i'm talking about a diversity and method of operation and yeah. strategy evolution so, so, of services something to also think about right. i think companies that have gone uh, more remote work have started to kind of break down a lot of those echo chambers mm-hmm. and we're only starting to just see some of the data for that be out there right wait build build be, on that. because build on that. because you're no longer hiring from the same schools where everyone's at you're able to open up your candidate pool to not just where you know, everyone's in the Bay Area now. Um, you're able to have someone from Ohio and, you know, Pensacola, Florida. And you, you're starting to bring a lot of new ideas and new cultural, like, you know, it's their own their own little biases and their own, you know, things that just they have not been all in the same melting pot where ideas aren't just the same, where they're just like, oh, yeah, 100 percent. This sounds great. You know, and, and anyway, I never global I never global minds. Yeah. yeah. Well. Uh, yes, global minds to a degree, but I think if you have a culture, like the United States has a bunch of cultures within it, sub subcultures, right? West Coast, East Coast, Central, Midwest, South, et cetera, right? However you want to label it. I think that that's largely what you're talking about, Scott. No, just saying remote work. He was just saying he listed some states. My mind, just because of the type of work I've done, um, I just think of globally, you know, so if a company can sort of channel, you know, this different type of thinking and not be so in an echo chamber. But if we're only going to stay within the United States, I can definitely see where Wally's point is valid. I was just doubling down on that just on a bigger scale. Well, the interesting thing about the thought process of the echo chamber is I I I think there is a limit to when that applies. Right. Because the, the remote work is a fascinating thing. But I think that that works if you're getting different subgroups within a single culture. Because, like, for example, you know, we've we've worked with Sunlight Teams. We had a team, um, you know, over in Europe. We had a team in India. We had a team in the States, right? Not at Three Ventures, but at a different organization. And while we were working constantly around the clock, the culture was so different from all three of those teams that it introduced a problem because the product we were building was mainly for an American market. Yeah, and I, I also think you, so. I don't. I don't. Well, well, we have 190. You know, service in 190 countries. So right, it, not just Americans. Even though the okay, you will say you know, um, mainly a first world product. Sure. Right, 
And so, you know, what I consider was there was just a lot of um, issues foreseen with that as the yeah. cultures, they don't just necessarily blend super easily well together, but like in the context of what we were talking about with Google, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you were saying, hey, remote for work has really allowed them to get different ideas. I think the subgroups in the United States, right, and it's specifically talking about that product for the United States. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of benefit in that. And I never considered remote work to be that benefit, but I think it introduces a series of other problems. If your product is for a specific country and then you're having most of the work done by a group in it who is largely from a different non-alike country. Yeah. Especially if it comes down to user experience, usability, things like that. Um, For example, you're not going to, you know, have Israeli text, um, you know, goes the opposite direction right yeah Australian reads like, right to left yeah so there, there's tons of you know but the the habits when using different digital products definitely um yeah yeah makes it makes sense i was also gonna say i mean i also think that building a diverse team is also kind of a fun one where you know you have time to actually interplay and have casual you know random conversations like oh I now watch a couple of cricket videos. A case case uh, in know. point is our team at Three Ventures. Our only restriction is North America because yeah. we have to be in those time zones for working reasons. But man, we have we have a we have a guy who travels to Spain. We have a guy who's lived most of his life down in Mexico, but's from the Netherlands. People in Florida and Texas and Canada and you know, Arizona and Colorado. I mean, the amount of unique experiences we get exposed to and mindsets, I, I absolutely love it. It it has been, at work, one of the things I valued most. Yeah. yeah. What was the remote option for employment, you're saying? Yeah. Diverse our, team. Yeah, our diverse team, right? And I that's mean, enabled by remote work is my point. Right? It, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I think that, you know, maybe this is one of the, things that the future generations will uh, be able to use as a solution for some of their humanity, right? Yeah. Getting some exposure quicker, faster, because like, think about us. I mean, Curtis and I are twins. We came from our household. Um, I was very one way of thought originally, you know, coming back at it from how I was raised and, you know, when you don't know any different, you think that that's the right way, right? Because that's all you've ever known. Absolutely. And so to have that exposure and that experience and then to grow up in a schooling where basically working in groups and everything was actively encouraged, and matter of fact, probably the preference. And also less distractions. We, we didn't have, you know, uh, all of the world's films at our fingertips to just go and sit and watch, you know, binge. It's like, hey... Oh, cops is on at you know eight p.m. You know uh, what are you gonna do before you know? I don't want to watch what that. Do you, what do you do from five to eight? Oh well, we're gonna go play baseball. You know, yeah. <laughs> got an opportunity. Hey, to, be to, to that yeah. point, I just want to throw in some dad mode real quick. Uh, coaching kids sports now is totally different. It is so different. Kids in a baseball's been slow. It's been boring. But if you put eight or sorry, if you put ten, twelve, eight year olds in a dugout. They could be winning by six. There could be a dinosaur running out on the diamond. No one cares. No one cares. It takes, you need a dugout chaperone just to keep people sort of touched in. So I'm just saying in regards to the the distractions, the distractions that we had compared to now, 
attention spans. We are, I think, evolving at this such rapid pace to, to be able to take on so much information. I don't know if we're going to be the first gen or maybe it's going to be the next group of people, but I think that, to Wally's point, I don't know if we're supposed to be having all of this stimulus. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised not. if exactly. there's a lot of mental breaks or, or people's minds just get burnt out at like, I don't know, 70. You know, it's just like we're taking on more information. If it was a water flow, we're in front of a fire hydrant, right? You guys have like heard that saying. Yeah, yeah. It's like, 100%. I think that there's a select few of us that we tickle our minds, as Alan says it. I've never said that before, but whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I'm passionate about uh, tech. I, I grew up in video games. I saw people play little Mr. Pac-Man cocktail tables to all of a sudden there's no more monitors. The games weren't 500 pounds. It didn't take three of us to lift it upstairs. Now it's this, oh, there's a computer. There's a there's a, a, a modem on the inside and a flat screen TV. I watched tech sort of take over things and um, it, it's 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 awesome. Like you guys are saying, we're in the golden yeah. age. And, and Scott's family used to own an arcade business, uh, for and those it, of you wondering. It's here to stay. Correct. I mean, it's, it's in everything we do from our vehicles to our supply chains. And so we talked about this everywhere. earlier about how they might teach this thing about Google and, and classrooms. And I said, you know, cl- schools might fundamentally change. Um, having a, 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 a infinite home, this is actually a topic in our household about how do we solve that problem that we just brought up about attention span? Because there's there's um there's some neighbors who live by us right and and they have provided so much for their kids that by providing all the things that they didn't have as kids they have actually provided distractions spoiled them because yeah. it's it's not that they're just spoiled it's that the the kids don't have an opportunity to focus on something because there's so many things distracting them, AKA all the other toys and things that are in the house. And so uh, why am I talking about how education is going to change? And you know, this conversation that's happening in household is because as we look at uh, the first five years of a kid's life, the arguably the most important thing is the development of their brain. And they say that, you know, if you don't develop certain skills within the first five years of your life, you'll basically be at a deficit for the rest of your life. Correct. Internet, feel free to fact check me, but that's what I read. No and summarized it's it. correct. Um, so Montessori is this philosophy of basically teaching children, right? And so when you think about when do kids go to school, kids go to school at about six years old, pre-K, right? Five, six years old. So all of this development is happening in children before they ever go to school, right? So any school is going to inherit all of these problems of attention span. And now let's talk about how school's changing. So I think school is going to need to evolve to focus on attention spans, creative problem solving, working in groups, right? And then we're going to have to consider the child care process, I'm sorry, the child development process. Like we talked about this earlier about how everybody's so busy. They don't have any time, you know, the family values, the nuclear family, a lot of that stuff's been on the decline. Uh, Cause largely you need two incomes to, you know, live and support. But what if there was a different method of operation? We talked about, you know, designing your rich life and everything else. What if you could not, buy all of these things that society teaches you that like you need to buy and they don't actually produce happiness. And when you had a family, you were actually able to have the time to 
work on the Montessori philosophy of raising these kids, which basically allows them to um, do something that they have interest in. It's a little bit of unstructured learning. But then they only have certain things that they can play with. So they have to use their imagination and do some problem solving. And then every once in a while, you sort of rotate the toys out. I don't know the exact schedule. I'm, I'm doing my best of yeah. describing it. But you you help them develop those key br- areas of the brain in the first five years of their life. That then all of a sudden, they get to this point where now schooling start to evolve. And now you're setting them up for this path. Because what I see... I see this commonly, especially in areas where parents are, um, you know, wanting to spoil their kids because maybe they didn't have that, et cetera. They're basically providing distractions and there's nothing more that it, there's nothing that is more of a distraction than a smartphone or tablet. Yeah. But let's hold on. Let's zoom in on that. Instead of to skip over it. Why do you think they're all right with, uh, their kid being distracted because they're trying to get their own time back themselves. Right. Mom right. and dad need 10 minutes to talk to each other. Cause guess what? If they don't talk, Guess what comes off their finger, right? A little hunk of metal yeah. potentially, right? So it's unfortunate. We're all lacking time. We're all lacking like energy. And so unfortunately, entertainment or distraction is just like the necessary evil. And to your point, if we can figure out a lifestyle change and evolve and adapt with the times, we got to get on it quick because um, it's a slippery slope. And, and parenting's hard enough by itself, but we're in a golden age that um, if you don't parent your kid, either Twitter or TikTok or Something's going to parent might. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone's going to hijack your little minion. Exactly. And that, I mean, that's, you got to think about this. What if it's this AI model that's producing music and content and everything else, and now it's just a mass regurgitation of somebody's bias and a, you know, and some type of machine learning model that's producing all of this. I mean, if your kid's on YouTube, you know, kids, there is a model that's actually doing exactly what you just said. Yeah. So how do you teach them to problem solve past it? Take the smartphone out of their their hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why. And the same same goes for us. Same Mm -hmm. reason. And work on their attention Same reason we don't have social media. Detach. Same reason I don't have notifications on my phone. Unless you're a handful of people, it doesn't ding. People get pissed off when they call me or message me and I don't answer. I have literally turned off every single notification on my phone. I've never had it. Same with my computers. If I answer your phone call, it's because I just happened to be looking down when you called me. Yeah. But it it also takes a conscious effort to go through and do that. And it sucks for the first, you know, couple weeks, couple months. And then after that, you're like, oh, wow. Life's a lot better without the ding, 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 ding. And ding. then just, you know, yep. taking your focus away from what really does matter at the end of the day. Hey, perfect segue uh, to, you know, putting our attention in certain places and detaching. While we're not on our phones and stuff, maybe you could pick up a hobby. What hobbies do we all do for fun? Do we have fun? I like golf. Do you guys like golf? <laughs> <laughs> golf, golf is fun. I don't know. I like softball because that was a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. I knocked it out. Yeah, golf. <laughs> I mean, in your, in your free time, you're playing golf, you're playing softball, cigars. Yeah, you're, actually, you're, you're working out, biceps, I, cigars. Like, yeah, biceps, tricep. You know, uh, those are those are your fun hobbies. Yeah, golf is definitely my fun hobby right now. Um, softball, they actually don't like me too much because I pretty much told them I'm going to be a sub, and I, I've played I've played softball for the last ten years. Alan's and, a sub. You, know. you heard it first. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, I I, I really enjoy golf. And the reason why I enjoy golf is because I feel like it's a something fun that I can do. I can do it on a flexible schedule, right? 
softball is not a flexible schedule. It's basically between this time and that time every Thursday night. Didn't, didn't think about it right. like that. That's actually a good view. And then the other thing is, what do I, what do I get out of playing softball? Maybe hand-eye coordination, maybe some camaraderie with you yeah, know the guys community. and stuff, community. Yeah. But I I play softball with the guys I work out with. So if I work out, I still get to see them and have that community. Oh, that's nice. So you're not actually breaking ties in any capacity. But golf, golf tests your integrity. Golf tests your ability to meet new people. It um, teaches you like how to deal with adversity. The conditions are constantly changing. And also, it's a, it's a strategy game. Yeah. It's a strategy game. So... I feel like got, I get gotta be creative in in a shorter time frame, and on a schedule that I control. I get to work on all of these things that I feel like make me a better person, and tickle my intellectual mind more than softball does. That makes sense, right? But I still get to work out, and working out is not a hobby for me. Working out is lifestyle. A, a, a lifestyle requirement. Gotcha. Mandatory. And so, you know, that's why I've been I've been playing a lot of golf. Um, because what I loved about racing, the mental side of racing, um, being your best self, you're competing with yourself, the discipline of, you know, having to be ready before you get there and then also being totally present in the moment. Golf is exactly that. Yeah. And you're telling that to someone who's taken a picture with the Tiger Woods, <laughs> who's played probably every country club or most in northern, PGA Pro. northern California. Wally's oh. been marching through those gates, you know, yeah. members only. Oh, here comes Wally. Yeah. Uh, what else, Wally? You've uh, competed. I had a lot of fun opportunities in the space, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, thanks to my dad. I mean, when I was. Didn't you serve President Bush at a country club? I did. <laughs> yeah, he was there for uh, John Doolittle's um, re-election campaign. Yeah, I got to got to hang out with Secret Service officers for four or five weeks in advance. It was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, and I've got a lot of opportunities with my dad just to go meet different people. Fuzzy Zeller, John Daly. My dad's opened up John Daly's co- courses, a couple of them for like it's just it's a fun it, and it's a unique crowd. But I again was a lot younger at the time when I was around all these people. Um, but it again, you know, yeah. Golf. Would you say it's still a passion of yours? Uh, yeah, I think my my true passion right now is technology. Um, hardware, There's no software. doubting that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if like that's where I spend most of my time. But is there a putter in your living room? Yeah. Okay. I, and, All right. And, and that that's it. And, Case uh, closed. And, and I, I've got I've got my dog to uh, to retrieve the Retri- little pink, the pink the pink ball. Return. Yeah. yeah you want to know what my my golden retriever does? Yeah. I'll set up a cup, and I'll put into that cup, and I'll make sure that it has to hit that cup perfectly in the center to go in. Otherwise, it just bounces off. So I'll put, and then my retriever will retrieve my ball before it gets to the cup, and then take it to the other room and chew on it. So I purposely. Hit a really bad ball the first time, <laughs> and she gets it and goes. And then my second ball is also a bad ball, and I hit that. And then the border collie comes and gets that, and I'm like, "Perfect, you guys go chew on those over there." Yeah. And then I drop the good balls, and I butt. That's, that's actually <laughs> deploy really funny. the decoys. Yeah, um, really exactly. Funny. Hey, I just wanted to add real quick because um, I don't really watch TV, and if I do, maybe it's just sports. And if it's sports, hashtag it's pretty much golf. So who's out there these days that you guys seen maybe, or maybe it's just me? 
Tiger Woods has a son, Charlie, who's a stud. I've been watching a lot. John Daly has a son. He's also a stud. He rips. Um, I don't know anything about it. Very surface level when I'm, you know, ingesting these uh, entertainment topics. But I just wanted to see what you guys thought if you had seen it at all. Well, Daly's son caddied for him at the Masters. John Daly is my, I love John Daly. He's my hero. Yeah. Yeah. Gives no fucks. Just love that man. Dude, $52 million lost in gambling. He was he was just a just a he's wild, a wild guy wild guy. Just Didn't they like, call him like Mister Inconsistent? I've because no he'd idea. be like he'd slay people and then he'd show, he'd go shoot ten over. <laughs> he, he talks about like beating Tiger or going against Tiger in like a high profile playoff, and he's like seven <laughs> shots in. Didn't really sleep the night before. You know, Tiger's over. like yeah, Tiger's like practicing and Daly's like flips a cigarette on the ground, just like crushes the first drive, yeah. like. And and John Daly messes with uh, Tiger's like mental state. Like people are giving him like what he Tiger thought was like, uh, um, you know, some alcohol and and coke or something, diet coke. <laughs> you know, just he just you know has has a fun uh, fun take on the game. He, he changed. He changed golf. I think both of those guys did. That's yeah. a perfect topic. Tiger brought in mock shirts. Alan, there was you had to wear a, a polo, right? Right. And the majority of players, at least on the highest level, were maybe uh, of a Caucasian complexion. Let's say, right? He comes in, sort of changes the uniform, changes the swag a little bit. John Daly shows up, back to the big white dude that anyone can identify with, maybe, and drinking the crappiest beers. You know, doesn't care. Smashes yep. it. 30 yards past the farthest guy. Yeah. And um, yeah. And he parties before, after, and during. Like, yeah, and hashtag during. America, baby. I, it, it will, we'll, uh, maybe this will be our, our last episode here, or our last seg- segment here, and then we'll uh, get going. But I think that's a good parallel between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. I think Live is bringing more of the party atmosphere, and the PGA Tour is sort of. Uh, trying to conserve the gentleman aspect, correct, and the um, uh, God, what's it? the etiquette? Yeah, of golf, and and I think that there's a combination of the two that needs to be had because, like, if I go play golf and people don't know about etiquette, it's really, it's honestly, it's it's annoying, and you don't want to play with them. But at the same rate. You can have etiquette and also have a little bit of fun. Have a little bit of fun. Yeah. And so I think Liv is bringing that. And, and, and I don't understand why the PGA just didn't shift and go rip off the stuff that that Liv has been doing really well. Like, for example, Kepka's brother just hit the hole in one. Like, Kepka's brother just hit the hole in one. They basically took the stadium concept from the waste management, you know, hole 16. And they put that at, I, I forget where they were, where they were at. He hits a whole one. And, dude, they're DJing. And when he's teeing off, it's not like a guy holding a quiet sign. Quiet, quiet. Yeah. It's um, they're like, whoa. And then he hits, and they're like, oh. And the whole crowd's doing it. It's they just- were literally playing rap music. They are playing Kodak Black in the back in the, in the the background. <laughs> but, Alan, happened. what I was just going to say real quick is, like, PGA, there's I'm the- i show that to you, Wally. There, there's the essence of golf. Like you said, a gentleman's game. But then it's more, it's entertainment. So why wouldn't Liv just sort of capitalize, like, hey, this is supposed to be entertaining. Let's get involvement. You can cheer. You can chant. Everyone's going to make more money. Um, so I think they just sort of, like, put their eggs in the basket that, to your point, PGA was just lacking on. They fumbled the bag. Yeah. Watch that video, Wally, and you tell me what you think. He's watching uh, Kepka's hole-in-one. This will be the short clip off. of the reaction of. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. 
wild, right? And that's just a brother of a professional. Beer shower and everything yeah, else. It's yeah, like that's... March Madness mixed with meets golf. Meets golf. Yeah, yeah. That's, Which uh... is entertainment. It, Let's get it. Golf is entertainment. Yeah. It used to it used to be entertaining, oh, wow. but now it's like that's wild. Participate yeah, like all, all the uh, the video displays for uh, advertisements. Like they're going to town with it. That's and they awesome. walk up and they've got a theme. They've got their walk up song yeah, and they've got fun. their name and their face. Like, dude, the PGA Tour has a stranglehold on this stuff. Yeah. And and yeah. guys, guys, why don't they just take this stuff, rip it off, and incorporate it? And who is that? Right. That is some guy I've never seen before, but I know it's Brooks's brother. Right. So right. they're just gonna get so many clicks, so many views, so much promotion. Yeah. Off of a a plus one. Right. Gorgeous. Yeah. Brooks's brother, I think, is pretty good. Uh, yeah, he just aced in front of everyone. I would have duffed, I, I, and I'm I, good. I, I, I thought I remember seeing something, but I, I'm not necessarily sure if he uh, would have like the ability to get a tour card. But I'm pretty sure he has the ability to play on Corn Ferry, like he, at that he level looked of like status. That I can tell. He looked like he's damn scratch or close to it. You know what I yeah. mean? And Brooks yeah. is your brother. <laughs> like, <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. Well. I think we have uh, our next, you know, don't get, don't give a fuck episode uh, idea. We'll talk about golf for those of you out there who like it. But uh, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts on the AI piece or anything else, or um, uh, questions, comments, concerns, you know what to do on all of the social profiles, or you can always email us uh, to get your questions answered. But with that said, thank you for watching this episode of Whack Attack. We will catch you next week and have a great rest of your day.